Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. A few weeks ago, President Trump released his budget for fiscal year 2021. Since then, the House has decided to not even introduce a budget. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, featuring AAF's Director of Fiscal Policy, Gordon Gray, we will discuss the ins and outs of the budget process. Gordon, thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. So this must be an exciting time for you budget policy nerds out there. So it is officially budget season. That kicks off with the release of the Congressional Budget Office, CBO's January baseline. That is their uh, fiscal and economic measuring stick that they hand to Congress. It's how Congress figures out how much the stuff that they're going to pretend to pass this year, how much it actually costs. CBO does that. And the first step is the January baseline, which they Mm -hmm. put out uh, last month. Right. So the sort of starter pistol for all of the talk around the federal budget Mm -hmm. was a couple of weeks ago, President Trump uh, introduced his budget to Congress. Yep. Now, one would think, I would think, as you know, a lay viewer of this, that Congress would come up with a counter budget and then they would negotiate. Yeah. So, so, so on February 10th, the president released the president's budget, or the the administration did. OMB released the president's budget. That is the executive branch's wish list. Essentially, it is their alternate universe where, if they could control everything, here's how federal policy would look. And it is the first and kind of the only major budget initiative that the executive branch does. Most of budgeting, most of spending, most of the fiscal policy decisions are, in fact, made by Congress, which is in keeping with their Article One responsibilities. The president's budget used to be more of a starting point for how uh, the agencies would be funded, some sense of what the president's priorities will be for the year. But over time, the president's budget has increasingly become more of a messaging document, less of a policy guidance tool. That just reflects, I think, the the nature of the public policy debate right now. It's the executive branch just looks at it as, here's an opportunity to showcase what we want to do, particularly in election year, less about legislating. All right. So you started talking about it a little earlier, but uh, let's talk about how this is supposed to work or how how it's theoretically supposed to work. Is there actually a law that that sets up how this works or or is it supposed to be this chaotic mess that we're seeing? So the modern budget process was uh, established in 1974. Uh, It's actually embedded in a broader law that was born out of kind of a showdown between President Nixon and Congress. In fact, it was one of, if not the last law he signed <laughs> before he resigned. Um, and within within that law, it's the Congressional Budget Act and, uh, and Impoundment Control Act of 1974, the, that sets up the modern budget process, which begins in January. CBO releases their estimates for how much the government is going to spend, tax, and what their estimates for the economy will be for the next decade. The next step in that is the president releases his budget, and then Congress is supposed to look at the president's budget, look at CBO's baseline, and then come up with their own budget resolution in the House and the Senate. They're supposed to meet in the middle. 
that budget resolution is supposed to then guide spending and taxing decisions for the rest of the year. Over time, Congress has figured out a way to continue spending taxpayer dollars without passing budgets. The reason they've been uh, the reason that's gained traction is because when you pass budgets, you have to make tough decisions. Making tough decisions is often not in a politician's best interest. So, to the extent that they can get away with not making those decisions and still spending your money, they're going to do it. And that's to some extent how we've sort of ended up in this place where Congress regularly fails to pass budget resolutions. President's budgets are increasingly pointless. And we end up with sort of last-minute, multi-year spending deals that don't really grapple mm-hmm. with the federal I imagine debt. I imagine that's even more true during an election year, that it's not in their interest to actually make these tough decisions. It is. And with the – essentially with campaigns being never-ending, the window for legislating is increasingly small. Got it. Um, so – you know, you mentioned that in the past that the, the president's budget has been sort of a starter pistol. What role is it supposed to play in this overall process? So the president's budget, there's actually a lot in it. The top line numbers and policies in the president's budget, the ones that get the most attention. Does it get to balance? Does it include lots of tax increases? Does it repeal and replace Obamacare or even pretend to? What does it think the economy is going to do? All that stuff. That's the stuff that the, that um, a lot of budget analysts, a lot of news, the media focuses on. And, and understandably so, because that is the best reflection, essentially, of the administration's priorities. Below that, though, there's a 1,200-page volume called The Appendix that next to nobody reads. And in that is very specific legislative language describing how, to, how the executive branch – believes the agency agencies agencies should be funded down to a fairly specific level of detail that stuff it's largely ignored by the media it goes over to the appropriations committees in congress and that stuff actually often ends up in law in appropriations acts when congress finally gets around uh, to to funding the agencies either recently after a government shutdown or after <laughs> kicking the cans for several weeks at a time and coming up with a longer term deal. Right. And those kicking the can down the road, the, the, what you're referring to there is continuing resolutions. Indeed, right, con- right, right, right. CR. That's what Congress does when they get to the end of the fiscal year and haven't agreed to spending levels for the next fiscal year. And it's either have a shutdown or just do a CR, which is uh, the legislative equivalent of uh, whatever we did last year, let's just keep doing that. <laughs> now, when we're talking about you know the budget, you often hear these terms thrown around. Yeah. You know, mandatory spending, non discretionary spending. You know, like the the right. revenue side of things. Could you just for all of us that don't follow this yeah. as closely as you do, just break down the different parts of Happy what we're to. talking about? When Happy to. And this is one of the challenges in federal budget policy is that there's so much jargon. A lot, of, and a lot of it is is candidly kind of needless (laughs) Um, and there's multiple terms for the same thing and it's easily confused so that's a a, a great point so the when we think about well first what we're talking about is federal budgeting or federal budget policy maybe the most important thing to to let listeners know is that there is actually no such thing as the federal budget Mm -hmm. for example if someone were to ask oh go find me the budget I'm a budget expert and I would not be able to do it 
because the president has the bud- has the president's budget, but that's essentially a document that he mails to Congress, which they um, many many of its major components they largely ignore. Congress is supposed to come up with a budget resolution every year, which they regularly don't, which leaves nothing. We actually don't have anything that could be construed as a budget. Separately, when Congress agrees at the end of the year to fund the federal agencies, sometimes that package of of laws or or spending is called the budget. And none of them are all-encompassing or bicameral. Um, Well, actually, the budget resolution can be, but none of them are um, span the executive and legislative branches. Um, so we really don't have a, a, a budget. Instead, what we have are uh, several processes that were designed to add some uh, to systematize or otherwise discipline how the federal government between the executive and the legislative branch spend taxpayer dollars. Within that, if we want to think about just the terminology and the vocabulary around federal spending and, and tax policies, just looking at the, uh, at the spending side, there are two major components of federal spending. There's discretionary spending, and that's about a third of the federal yeah, budget. You have a great chart that outlines this for people, too. And discretionary spending is when people think about government spending, it's actually discretionary spending that most people think of. That's defense spending, that's spending on roads, that's spending on education, the space program, all that stuff that the federal agencies go and do. That's usually what people think about when they think about federal spending. It's only a third, though, of what the federal government actually spends in any given year. The rest is what's called mandatory spending. It's called mandatory spending because the federal government is going to write uh, checks under these spending programs, mandatory spending programs, whether or not Congress passes laws in a given year or not. The best example is, say, Social Security. Set up um, you know, almost 100 years ago, and it is a program that has criteria and eligibility requirements, and so long as you meet those, Congress is going to mail you your check. Uh, or, excuse me, the, the, the Social Security Administration is going to mail you your check. Congress doesn't have to do anything about it. And that's entitlement spending. So this is Medicare, Medicaid, and uh, Affordable Care Act subsidies, and all of these programs that people broadly can call entitlements, that spending has been growing as a share of the federal budget. Back in the 60s, it was, it was a third. And uh, these days, it's two-thirds. So it's essentially flip-flopped. The, the share of federal spending that is spent every year by Congress, discretionary spending versus mandatory spending, which is now two-thirds of the budget. Thanks for laying out all of the theory of this. One of the things I appreciate when we have these discussions with you is is you always know the history of of how things work and you know going back to the Nixon era and all that stuff. And well, and sometimes the history is more interesting than the whatever's yeah, no. going on today. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> exactly. But so let's talk about a little bit about what's going on today and the reality of the budget process rather than the theory of it. Right. How does President Trump's budget specifically fit into the process you just yep. outlined? So right now, the primary disciplining mechanism on federal spending is a two-year budget agreement that Congress and the executive branch reached uh, last year. That set out 
what the levels of spending will be for uh, defense programs and non-defense discretionary programs. So again, we're just talking about the roughly one-third of federal spending that goes to the agencies. Certainly in an election year, certainly not this president and this Congress are ever going to agree on meaningful changes to the two-thirds of spending that's, that's mandatory uh, spending, that's entitlement stuff. We all know that eventually there's going to be have, there's going to have to be some kind of uh, budget deal to get the debt sort of under control. That's going to have to touch the two-thirds of the budget mm-hmm. that Congress doesn't touch every which year. Which is with, a whole larger conversation. Which is a whole, whole separate thing. But Congress and, and the president agreed to spending levels for the following – for the this year uh, going forward uh, for defense and non-defense programs. They already agreed to it. They already signed that into law. That's what's going to determine what – uh, the federal government is going to spend on these programs. The president's budget, again, particularly in election year, isn't going to really animate that conversation mm-hmm. at all. So is this basically just an election document? Yep. Defining how he's going to frame issues in the election? It is part of that conversation. The other thing is, is I am, uh, it is likely that the president, over the course of his reelection campaign, will lay out you know, additional policies he could have put those in his budget. Mm-hmm. He chose not to. So there's been a lot of talk about another round of tax cuts. There really wasn't much in the president's budget that specifies sort of what that agenda is going to look like. Right. So it's part of that conversation, but the president chose not to use it as a vehicle for sort of the totality of whatever it is mm-hmm. that he'll be promising over the course of the year. Now, I also heard that the House isn't even planning on introducing a budget, let alone right. passing one. So is, is that normal? Because to me, as, a, as you know, right. somebody that doesn't follow this, that seems crazy to me that, that that's not happening. So, so what does that say about you know, the state of the budget process right now? So that is a reflection of where the budget process has gotten. Mm-hmm. Certainly in the, in the aftermath of the Budget Control Act. So that was the law that was passed in 2011 under the Obama presidency that uh, you had a conservative house and you know sort of the Obama administration having to grapple with fiscal issues the and what and pass a debt limit and in a divided congress you often get compromise legislation like the budget control act and that laid out spending caps for 10 years now as anyone who sort of followed this knows we didn't exactly stick to those caps congress didn't do their job either the caps were supposed to come up with about half of the deficit uh, savings that the Budget Control Act was supposed to deliver. Congress was supposed to come up with a grand bargain to deliver the rest. They didn't. We got sequestration. And every year thereafter, we essentially got these two-year spending deals that sort of turned off sequestration to a certain degree and allowed Congress to spend a little bit more than they otherwise would. As part of that, Congress decided well, why are we going to do a budget resolution, take all these votes on amendments that we don't want, particularly in the Senate? The Senate has a has a process called Votorama that essentially forces them to take dozens and dozens of votes on amendments that, since people know that they're going to have to vote on a certain amendment, you often see a lot of messaging amendments, a lot of politically motivated amendments. And if anyone, anyone's sort of following... Uh, what Congress is up to these days, they don't take a lot of votes in general. So particularly in the Senate, there's just not a lot of appetite to do a budget resolution, take lots of nasty votes. So with the Budget Control Act in place, 
they were the the thinking was why are we going to do this twice why are we going to do a budget resolution take all these votes only to have to come and deal with the bca again at the end of the year to turn off sequestration come up with a two-year deal so essentially they folded a lot of the function of a budget resolution into these budget control act deals um there's some the mechanism by that is called a deemer. It's probably not important to really go into that. But essentially what they were able to do is whenever they would pass these two-year spending deals, they'd, they'd slip in there saying, oh, by the way, this can also be the budget, and therefore we're not going to do one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's essentially where Congress has gotten. Before the Budget Control Act, their, Congress has regularly failed to, pu- to pass budgets. Sometimes it's because the House and the Senate, if they're divided – are never going to get on the same page, so why bother? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's because they're both controlled by the same party, and hey, since we're on the same team, why would we each put up different budgets that make that sort of show off why we can't agree on stuff? <laughs> um, that that's been a problem too, mm-hmm. and there's just not a lot of upside for budgeting anymore. There, there, it used to be in yeah. Um, this is gonna be next. My next question, yeah. like, has this process ever really actually worked? Not. Completely no. Right, right. It's not some of my West Wing idealism that, that's no. coming in here. Um, though, if you recall, there was there were shutdowns and true, concerns true. about the debt limit in the, in the West I think Wing. That was three episodes long story <laughs> arc there. That's right. Um, that's right. He told Halfley, shut it down. Uh, <laughs> um, Great episodes. Man. But the the process worked better mm-hmm. than it did now. Congress was better at adhering to some of the, the, the deadlines. They were better at passing appropriations bills in a more timely fashion. They were better about legislating those changes openly, allowing for amendments, actually debating the bills. Um, but I, th- I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we, if we thought that this was you know, sort of this golden era of of legislating. Right. They they never. I think there's a little less chaos one, in the system. One or two times, I think they did everything on time. Yeah, but Cold again, star. this is you know a forty some year old law. It's never entirely worked. Yeah, yeah. So where do we go from here? Are there any easy fixes or are these? Well, I mean, so stepping back from sort of the broader question about divisiveness and hyperpartisanship mm-hmm. sure. and that, like that's a you know, that, right. that I'm sure animates some of this and sort of the, the modern news cycle, all that. Right. Beyond that, though, there are some changes that could incrementally improve the budget process, I think. The, the Senate actually, the Senate Budget Committee, uh, and kudos to uh, Senator and Chairman Enzi and Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, a, a Democrat on that committee, actually worked on some bipartisan budget process hmm. legislation it included a bipartisan budget resolution avenue. Typically, a budget resolution is a strictly partisan affair. Particularly in this in the Senate, a budget resolution doesn't need sixty votes to pass because okay. it's actually not a law. Got it. It's a, a so it avoids like the cloture requirements, exactly. which yeah. is some is some more Senate jargon for for up. Yeah, but the but but fundamentally, with a budget resolution, you can just do it on a pure majority basis. Now, that changes the nature of that sort of political coalition. If you know you don't need – right now, Republicans are in charge of the Senate. If you know you don't need Democrats, you're not going to put together a bipartisan budget. You're just going to do it with your own guys. So the legislation itself looks much different. If you're 
going to try to do a, a bipartisan budget, your your budget's going to look a lot differently. You're probably not going to put a repeal and replace placeholder in your budget if you want Democrats, for example. <laughs> um, the reform package that NZ and White House worked on has uh, a bipartisan avenue. They And they actually, they get rid of the Votorama that I was talking about that is just kind of a, every senator hates it. So when, when the Senate debates a budget resolution, it's always late at night there's a there's a there's a procedural sort of clock that keeps them all Mm -hmm. down on the senate floor for hours and hours they're just miserable i I don't want to be i remember some i remember like uh, i think it was senator hatch tweeted out some like late night pizza pic photos and all that stuff and it just seems such a miserable time that at one o'clock in the morning these you know, senators are sitting yeah. on the floor. Yeah, they're just miserable. It's just, it, it increasingly, I think, from their perspective, fails the cost-benefit test. Yeah. It takes up a lot of their time. There's no upside in a lot of the votes. And the product you get out of it isn't a law. You need the other, and maybe and maybe not the other uh, the other chamber agree, you know, wants to <laughs> sort of uh, to agree to your terms so what is it? And all you're doing is setting out spending levels that right now you may have already agreed to anyway. Right. So um, there's a reason why there's you can see there's just not a lot of appetite mm-hmm. on the Hill right now for any of this. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like there's a little hope for the future with some bipartisan reforms. There, there is an effort. Yeah. So, well, I think we could sit here and talk about this all day. Absolutely. But uh, wrap up with uh, the one more thing and talk about something a little bit more interesting. And I know outside of your interest yeah. in the federal budget you are also the office cook and oh. the office chef so what's new what's new in Gordon's kitchen oh man I made this I made duck over the weekend oh I can't not eat duck if I see it on a menu it's yep. just the best I, it was pretty simple just duck breast you gotta render all that fat crisp up the skin and I made this um, red wine stock reduction that was pretty evil. <laughs> so so yeah sounds delicious we ate pretty good so well thanks for coming on today gordon all right thank you i hope you enjoyed this conversation tune back in for our next episode where our experts will provide clear data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues i'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about aaf don't forget to subscribe on itunes spotify or google play